Chapter Twelve of the Maid of Skur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Maid of Skur by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Twelve. How to Sell Fish. What I had seen that night upset me more than I liked to dwell upon. But with all my fish on hand, I was forced to make the best of it. For a downhearted man will turn meat, as we say, and much more fish, to a farthing's worth. And though my heart was sore and heavy for my ancient sweetheart Moxie, and for little Bardie, in the thick of such disasters, that could be no excuse to me for wasting good fish, or at least pretty good, and losing thoroughly good money. Here were the mullet, with less of shine than I always recommended, and honestly wished them to possess. Here were the prawns, with a look of paleness, and almost of languishing, such as they are bound to avoid, until money paid and counted. And most of all, here were lawful bass, of very great size and substance, inclined to do themselves more justice in the scales than on the dish. I saw that this would never answer to my present high repute. Concerning questions afterwards, and people being hard upon me, out of thoughtless ignorance, that was none of my affair. The whole of that would go, of course, upon the weather and sudden changes, such as never were known before. And if good religious people would not so be satisfied with the will of Providence to have their fish as fish are made, against them I had another reason which never fails to satisfy. The burning tide, as they called it, through which poor Bardie first appeared, had been heard of far inland, and with one consent pronounced to be the result of the devil improperly flipping his tail while bathing. Although the weather had been so hot, this rumour was beyond my belief. Nevertheless, I saw my way, if any old customer should happen, when it came to his dinner-time, to be at all discontented, which no man with a fine appetite and a wholesome nose should indulge in, I saw my way to sell him more, upon the following basket day, by saying what good people said, and how much I myself had seen of it. With these reflections I roused my spirits, and resolved to let no good fish be lost, though it took all the week to sell them. For, in spite of the laws laid down in the books, for young married women, and so forth, there is scarcely any other thing upon which both men and women may be led astray so pleasantly as why to buy fish, and when to buy fish, and what fish to buy. Therefore I started in good spirits on the Monday morning, carrying with me news enough to sell three times the weight I bore, although it was breaking my back almost. Good fish it was, and deserved all the praise that ever I could bestow on it, for keeping so well in such shocking weather, and so I sprinkled a little salt in some of the delicate places, just to store the flavour there, for cooks are so forgetful, and always put the blame on me when they fail of producing a fine, fresh smell. Also knowing, to my sorrow, how suspicious people are, and narrow-minded to a degree none would give them credit for, I was forced to do a thing which always makes me to myself seem almost uncharitable. 
but I felt that I could trust nobody to have proper faith in me, especially when they might behold the eyes of the fishes retire a little, as they are very apt to do when too many cooks have looked at them. And knowing how strong the prejudice of the public is in this respect, I felt myself bound to gratify it, though at some cost of time and trouble. This method I do not mind describing, as I am now pretty clear of the trade, for the good of my brother fisherman. When the eyes of a fish begin to fail him through long retirement from the water, you may strengthen his mode of regarding the world, and therefore the world's regard for him, by a delicate piece of handling. Keep a ray-fish always ready. It does not matter how stale he is. And on the same day on which you are going to sell your bass, or mullet, or cod, or whatever it may be, pull a few sharp spines, as clear as you can, out of this good ray. Then open the mouth of your languid fish, and embolden the aspect of either eye by fetching it up from despondency with a skewer of proper length extended from one ball to the other. It was almost sure to drop out in the cooking, and even if it fails to do so, none will be the wiser, but take it for a provision of nature, as indeed it ought to be. Now, if anybody is rude enough to gainsay your fish in the market, you have the evidence of the eyes and hands against that of the nose alone. Why, bless me, madam, I used to say, a lady like you, that understands fish a great deal better than I do. His eyes are coming out of his head, ma'am, to hear you say such things of him. Afloat he was at four this morning, and his eyes will speak to it. And so he was, well afloat in my tub, before I began to prepare him for a last appeal to the public. Only they must not float too long, or the scales will not be stiff enough. Being up a few of these things, and feeling very keenly how hard the public always tries to get upper hand of me, and would beat me down to half nothing a pound, if allowed altogether its own way, I fought very bravely the whole of that Monday to turn a few honest shillings. Good old Davy, fine old Davy, brave old Davy, they said I was every time I abated a halfpenny, and I called them generous gentlemen and Christian-minded ladies, every time they wanted to smell my fish, which is not right before payment. What right has any man to disparage the property of another? When you have bought him, he is your own, and you have the title to canvass him. But when he is put in the scales, remember, nothing but good of the dead, if you remember anything. As I sat by the crossroads in Bridge End, on the bottom of a bucket, and with a four-legged dressing-table, hired for tuppence, in front of me, who should come up but the well-known brother Hezekiah? Truly tired I was getting, after plodding through Merthyr Moor, Ogmore, Anweny, Lailston, and Newcastle, and driven at last to the town of Bridgend. For some of my fish had a gamesome odour, when first I set off in the morning, and although the rain had cooled down the air, it was now become an unwise thing to recommend what still remained to any man of unchristian spirit, or possessing the ear of the magistrates. Now, perhaps I should not say this thing, and many may think me inclined to vaunt, and call me an old coxcomb. 
but if any man could sell stinking fish in the times of which I am writing, and then it was ten times harder than now, because women looked after marketing, that man, I verily believe, was this old Davy Llewellyn, and right he has to be proud of it. But what were left on my hands that evening were beginning to get so strong that I feared they must go over bridge-end bridge into the river Ogmore. The big coach with the London letters, which came then almost twice a week, was just gone on, after stopping three hours to rest the horses and feed the people, and I had done some business with them, for London folk, for the most part, have a kind and pleasing ignorance. They paid me well, and I served them well, with fish of a fine high flavour, but now I had some which I would not offer to such kind-hearted gentry. Hezekiah wanted fish. I saw it by his nostrils, and I knew it for certain when he pretended not to see me or my standing. He went a good bit round the corner, as if to deal with the ironmonger. But for all that, I knew as well as if I could hear his wife beginning to rake the fire, that fish for supper was the business which had brought him across the bridge. Therefore, I refused an offer which I would have jumped at before seeing Hezekiah, of twopence a pound for the residue from an old woman who sold pickles, and I made up my mind to keep up the price, knowing the man to have ten in family, and all blessed with good appetites. "'What, Davy? Brother Davy!' he cried, being compelled to begin, because I took care not to look at him. "'Has it been so ordered that I behold good brother Davy with a fish upon a Monday?' His object in this was plain enough, to beat down my goods by terror of an information for Sabbath labour. "'The Lord has been merciful to me,' I answered, patting my best fish on his shoulder, "'not only in sending them straight to my net at nine o'clock this morning, but also, brother Hezekiah, in the hunger all people have for them, I would that I could have kept thee a taste. Not soon wouldst thou forget it. Sweeter fish and finer fish never came out of Newton Bay. This I said because Newton Bay is famous for high quality. But, brother Hezekiah, thou art come too late, and I began to pack up very hastily. What? cried Hezekiah, with a keen and hungrily grievous voice. All those fish bespoken, Davy. Every one of them bespoken, brother, by a man who knows a right down good bass, better almost than I do. Griffy, the cat and snuffers. Now, Griffith, who kept the cat and snuffers, was a very jovial man, and a bitter enemy to Hezekiah Perkins, and I knew that the latter would gladly offer a penny a pound upon Griffy's back to spoil him of his supper, and to make him offend his customers. "'Stop, Brother Davy!' cried Hezekiah, stretching out his broad, fat hands, as I began to pack my fish, with the freshest smellers uppermost. "'Davy, dear, this is not right, nor like our ancient friendship. A rogue like Griffy to cheat you so? What has he beaten you down to, Davy?' "'Beaten me down?' I said all in a hurry. Is it likely I would be beaten down, with their eyes coming out of their heads like that? Now, dear brother Dio, do have patience. What was he going to give you a pound? 
fourpence a pound and ten pound of them three and fourpence for a lot like that ah the times are bad indeed dear brother dio fourpence halfpenny three and nine down for the lot as it stands hezekia for what do you take me cut a farthing in four when you get it do i look a likely man to be a rogue for fivepence no no davy don't be angry with me say as much as tenpence four and tuppence ready money and no irish coinage brother hezekiah said i a bargain struck is a bargain kept rob a man of his supper for tenpence oh dio dio you never would think of that man's supper with my wife longing for fish so such a family as we have and the weakness in hepzibah's back five shillings for the five davy there there take them along i cried at last with a groan from my chest you are bound to be the ruin of me but what can i do with a delicate lady brother surely you have been a little too hard upon me whatever shall i find to say to a man who never beats me down tell that worldly cat and snuffers that your fish were much too good why davy they seem to smell a little and small use they would be hezekiah either for taste or for nourishment unless they had the sea smell now brother all your money back and the fish to poor griffy if you know not the smell of salt water yet now don't you be so hot old davy the fish are good enough no doubt and it may be from the skewer wood but they have a sort not to say a smell but a manner of reminding one of the savoury stuff they feed on said i and the thorough good use they make of it a fish must eat and so must we and little blame to both of us with that he bade me good-night and went with alacrity towards his supper scornfully sneering as he passed the door of the cat and snuffers but though it was a fine thing for me and an especial providence to finish off my stock so well at a time when i would have taken gladly a shilling for the lot of it yet i felt that circumstances were against my lingering even if hezekiah unable to enter into the vein of my fish should find himself too fat to hurry down the steep hill after me still there were many other people fit for supper and fresh for it from the sudden coolness whom it was my duty now to preserve from mischief by leaving proper interval for consideration before i might happen to be in front of their dining-room windows another day therefore with a grateful sense of goodwill to all customers i thought it better to be off there i had been for several hours ready to prove anything but never challenged by anybody and my spirit had grown accordingly but i never yet have found it wise to overlie success win it and look at it and be off is the quickest way to get some more so i scarcely even called so much as a pint at the cat and snuffers to have a laugh with griffy but set off for newton along the old road with a good smart heel and a fine day's business and a light heart inside of me when i had passed red hill and tithigston and clearly was out upon newton down where the glow-worms are most soft and sweet it came upon me 
in looking up from the glow-worms to the stars of heaven, to think and balance how far I was right in cheating Hezekiah. It had been done with the strictest justice, because his entire purpose was purely to cheat me. Whereupon Providence had stepped in, and seen that I was the better man. I was not so ungrateful, let nobody suppose it, as to repine at this result. So far from that, that I rattled my money, and had a good laugh, and went on again. But being used to watch the stars, as an old sailor is bound to do, I thought that Orion ought to be up, and I could not see Orion. This struck me as an unkindly thing, although, when I thought of it next day, I found that Orion was quite right, and perhaps the beer a little strong, which had led me to look out for him. Anyhow, it threw me back to think of Hezekiah, and make the worst of him to myself, for having had the best of him. Everybody may be sure that I never would have gone out of the way to describe my traffic with that man, unless there were good reason. Nay, but I wanted to show you exactly the cast and the colour of man he was, by setting forth his low attempt to get my fish for nothing. There was no man, of course, in my native village, and very few in Bridge End, perhaps, to whom I would have sold those fish, unless they were going to sell it again. But Hezekiah Perkins, a member and leading elder of the Nicodemus Christians, was so hard a man to cheat, except by stirring of his gall, and so keen a cheat himself, so proud, moreover, of his wit and praying, and truly brotherly, that to lead him astray was the very first thing desired by a sound churchman. By trade and calling he had been, before he received his special call, no more than a common blacksmith. Now a blacksmith is a most useful man, full of news and full of jokes, and very often by no means drunk. This, however, was not enough to satisfy Hezekiah. Having parts, as he always told us, and sometimes we wished that he had no whole, cultivated parts, moreover, and taken up by the gentry, nothing of a lower order came up to his merits than to call himself as follows. Horologist, gunsmith, practical turner, working goldsmith and jeweller, maker of all machinery, and engineman to the king and queen. The first time he put this over his door, all the neighbours laughed at him, knowing, in spite of the book he had got full of figures and shapes and crossings, which he called three gunometry, that his education was scarcely up to the rule of three without any guns. Nevertheless, he got on well, having sense enough to guide him when to talk large, in the presence of people who love large talk as beyond them, and when to sing small, and hold his tongue, and nod at the proper distances, if ever his business led him among gentry of any sense or science, such as we sometimes hear of. Hence it was that he got the order to keep the church clock of Bridge End a-going by setting the hands on twice a day, and giving a push to the pendulum. And so long as the clock would only go, nobody in the town cared a tick whether it kept right time or wrong. And if people from the country durst say anything about it, it was always enough to ask them what their own clocks had to say. There were not then many stable clocks, 
such as are growing upon us now, so that every horse had his own dinner-bell. Only for all those that were, Hezekiah received, I dare say, from five to ten shillings a month apiece, in order to keep them moving. But, bless my heart, he knew less of a clock than I, old Davy Llewellyn. And once on a time I asked him, when he talked too much of his ometries, as a sailor might do in his simpleness, I asked him to take an observation, as I had seen a good deal of it. But all he did was to make a very profane and unpleasant one. As for this man's outward looks, he was nothing at all particular, but usually with dirt about him, and a sense of oiliness. Why he must needs set up for a saint, the father of evil alone may tell. But they said that the clock that paid him best, being the worst in the neighbourhood, belonged to a Nicodemus Christian, with a great cuckoo over it. Having never seen it, I cannot say, and the town is so full of gossip that I throw myself down on my back and listen, being wholly unable to vie with them in depth or in compass of story-telling even when fish are a week on my hands. End of chapter 12